One verse that I want to talk to you about tonight is a verse that my dad gave me in high school. We, as a family, would always sit around the table for our dinner time. My dad would go to my mom early on. He told us the story, and he said that, hey, Lois, I need you to make sure you cook dinner Monday through Thursday. First reason is, is I'm no good at it, and so if I do it, everybody won't be alive long. Um, the second reason is you're real good at it, and so everybody won't mind coming to the table. And the third reason is, is that this will be a time for me and you to lead our children at the table. Uh, the table in the Bible was not just meant for eating. The table in the Bible was meant for leading. And so my dad saw the table as an opportunity for both parents to sit down with the kids, look at them eye to eye, um, the doorway to the soul to ask them who they're hanging out with, who you like, who are you dating, what are you thinking about, who are their parents, obviously. We need to know who those guys are. I mean, they were pouring into our lives. And then my dad would open up the Bible, and then he would have us all go around the table and read a verse, and then we would have to describe to him what we felt like that verse meant. And 99% of the, wrong, the, the, the time, he would say, Aunt, wrong, give it back to me so I can explain it right. And even though... Um, a lot of times as young, young people, you know, we were a little aggravated sitting at the table extra long because that meant we were probably missing the Cosby show. Um, I can look back on it now and see how powerful it was that a mother and father would sit there and teach their kids the word of God Monday through Thursday. Friday, we would go out a lot of times out to eat, but Monday through Thursday, we would sit around that table. And if you ask any of my siblings, me... Anthony, who you probably seen sing, and, and Priscilla, who you probably seen in the movie War Room, and my sister Crystal, who has uh, written some books. And so uh, we were sitting around that table, and anytime we talk about our parents, we talk about that table. And it was one conversation my dad and mom had with us that I want to take you through tonight, just for a moment. I just want to take you to the Evans family table with a conversation that Tony Evans was having with me, my two sisters, and my brother. And he opened his word to Acts 13.36. And Acts 13.36, he said, I just want to read to you a summary of a man's life. And after I read to you this summary, I simply want you to take out a pen and a piece of paper and in one sentence write down your summary and then read it out to me and tell me what it says. And then he said, if you don't like what it says, then change it. Well, how do we change it? Well, every step that you take in your life writes your life summary. So you won't be writing it with a pen. You'll be writing it with your feet. But tonight, I want you to write it with your pen. But first, let me read the verse. Acts 13, 36 simply says this. David, he served the purposes of God for the benefit of an entire generation and then he fell asleep and underwent decay and was laid to rest among his, amongst his fathers. David, he served the purposes of God for the benefit of an entire generation. And then he fell asleep. He proceeded to say that this right here is one sentence that summarize, summarizes a man's entire life. So now that you've seen David's summary and how his summary was built on his relationship with God. His summary was built on serving God's purposes. His summary was built on bringing God glory. His summary was built on being the man, the person that God had called him to be. Now that you've seen his summary, 
written to you in one sentence, you take out a pen and write yours. And hopefully, the hope is, is that your summary at the table tonight will read a little bit like David's. And if it doesn't, hopefully you'll live a life from this point that will rewrite what it says. David served the purposes of God for the benefit of an entire generation before he fell asleep. This is a powerful summary because this is the type of thing that was written on David's epitaph. David's tombstone, a man who loves to do the will of God, a man after God's own heart that served the purposes of God for the benefit of a generation, and then he fell asleep. What's amazing about this summary is that you wouldn't think this would be the pinnacle point of David's summary after all of the things that he has accomplished in his life. Think about David's resume, all of the things that he's done. Uh, as a father with young children, I spend a whole lot of my days watching the movie Wreck-It Ralph. And Wreck-It Ralph was after that gold medal. Well, David would have beat Wreck-It Ralph because David had plenty of gold medals. David was the one who reigned over Israel for 40 years. David was a conquering king. David didn't lose wars. David had all of the money. David had uh, people bowing down at his feet. David had reached a, a pinnacle point in society that you would pedestal him. You would say, I want to be like him. That was David. David was the boy who uh, killed Goliath in the field when everyone else was running. David had all of these gold medals in his life. And after all of these gold medals that David had achieved in his life, it's amazing to me that his life summary had nothing to do with the medals. It's amazing to me how his life summary had nothing to do with all of the accomplishments of his worldly existence. His life summary didn't have anything to do with killing Goliath and all of those big things that we read about where David could really flex his muscles as the world was looking at him. David's summary had everything to do with his relationship with God. That tells me something simple, that if you're living life chasing after the world's pedestooling you and being in a position where people are putting gold medals around your neck because you've accomplished so much, so much and your pocketbook is thick and your house is large and your car is nice and all of those things, nothing wrong with it. But if that's how you define yourself, you're still missing the mark based on David's summary. David served the purposes of God for the benefit of a generation, and then he fell asleep. He understood that everything that I do in my life must be connected to the kingdom of God. If I'm doing it for the human trinity, me, myself, and I, and not the holy trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I'm totally missing the mark. We live in a, a narcissistic society where everyone is thinking about how can they get on that pedestal and reach that gold medal and get to that mark and grasp after the things of this world. And David's summary, what my dad was teaching us that day, and since you're at the table, he's teaching you, and he's saying that this summary lets us know what the mark really is. It's a relationship with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's are you serving the purposes of God with every opportunity that you have before the conclusion of the window that you've been given. That was David's summary. Question, if you were to take out a pen and a paper and just take a moment to write one sentence about your life summary, 
The question is, what would it say? And if you don't like what it says, then take the time to walk by faith so you can rewrite it. David served the purposes of God. He understood the connection. He wasn't just living the same old, same old life like some of us live, and I even had myself get caught up in it. You wake up out of that same old bed, and you look in that same old mirror at that same old face and put on those same old clothes from that same old closet and brush those same old teeth to get in that same old car after eating that same old breakfast to go down that same old road to get in that same old job and be in that cubicle looking for that same old time, five o'clock to roll around so that you can get back in that same old car to go back down that same old street to go back into that same old house, to eat that same old food, to watch those same old TV shows, to get back in those same old pajamas, to lay on that same old mattress, to despise that same old alarm clock going off the next morning. And doing that day after day after day, never realizing and recognizing what you have been called to do. It wasn't the same old, same old thing for David. He understood that wherever I go, whatever I do is purpose for the kingdom of God. He has made the connection. The question is tonight, in everything that you do, whether it's your family or raising your children or going to your job or being the pastor of a church or uh, serving, is everything that you do connected to the kingdom of God in some way? Or, or, you, or are you just going about it the same old, same old way? Understanding and knowing that there's a point to this summary where David falls asleep, that the, the window of time has come to a close, that every game has a kickoff, but every game has a final whistle. And wouldn't it be unfortunate to live the same old, same old life, never writing a summary that was meaningful just for the final whistle to blow? And the head coach look at your summary and watch your tape and think to himself, what did you get done? David's summary let me know he got it done. It's simple tonight as we sit at the table together. If you were to take out the pencil and a paper and you were to, in one sentence, write down your summary, the question is, what would it say? Are you living your life connected to the kingdom of God in every area of your life? Or have you found yourself living the same old, same old way. My son Camden had a harsh reality of understanding what it means to be connected to the Father. Uh, Camden, this is the one that I call Spider Cam, okay? He's a beast. He doesn't care about his body. He doesn't care about anything. He'll jump off anything. I have to, like, you know, put a red light up to stop him. I mean, this dude is just an absolute monster. I mean, he's just one of those kids who's very highly determined, and he's going to do what he's going to do. I remember one day I had him in the playroom, and I had him caged off, I thought, kind of blocked off. Everything was set. Went into my little study, started reading a little bit, popped my head out. He's still there. Read a little bit, popped my head out. You know, you kind of checking on him, but I pretty much had it good and barricaded off. I had my, my baby gate up because he was about 22 months, and so we didn't want him climbing the, the stairs by himself, so I knew he couldn't climb the stairs, and so we were all set. I took another peek outside of the uh, study there, and I looked, and Camden was nowhere to be found. 
I came out and I started looking down because he should be down. I said, Camden, Camden, where are you, son? Where are you, Camden? Where'd you go? I hear from upstairs, Daddy. <laughs> now, this is a problem because the baby gate is still on. And I'm trying to figure out how this boy got upstairs. So I look up slow because I'm nervous. Uh, Camden has a way of making things happen when they're not supposed to. And I look up, and lo and behold, Camden had climbed the outside of the spindles. So he's hanging off the outside of the spindles looking at me like this. And you know that feeling when you have that kid, it just rises up in you. You're trying to figure out what to do with this one. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, do I tell him, okay, jump? Or do I run up the stairs and try to grab him like this before he jumps? I was in a conundrum situation. It was hard for me to figure that out. But that's just the nature of who Camden is. The next morning, I'm walking down and I'm holding Camden's hand. And he's so determined to get things done on his own that as I'm walking down the stairs, he's He's pulling his hand away from my hand because Camden wants to get it done by himself. He's saying, now, I don't know what it means. I just know it was rude. And I was trying to figure out why this boy won't, is trying to disconnect from his father. He didn't understand that he couldn't handle this journey by himself. His legs were too short. He wasn't ready to go down the stairs. So, but he was so adamant about letting my hand go. So you know what I did? I let him go. Now, for all of you social workers <laughs> out here, I want to make sure that I clarify. I waited till we got to the last step because I already knew how this was going to turn out. So I uh, gave him a little grace and a little mercy and waited all the way down to the last step. Let me stop there for a second before I continue on with this illustration that I'm so grateful for God's grace and mercy because he'll know that we can't handle it even when we're trying to pull away and he'll still guide us down even if it's to the last step. But I did that with Camden and I let his hand go and he stepped off the last step and before his front foot got down, his back foot came up. Boom. He hit his stomach, knocked the wind out of him. <sighs> turned to me. He's crying with his arms up. And all I saw was a position of worship and praise. I said, so, oh, so now you want to go to church. Now, all of a sudden you're spiritual. Now it's all coming out. And it's amazing how when you let go of your father's hand and you experience life without him, all of a sudden church is appealing and godliness and praise and worship and tears coming down your eyes and you move all the way to the front. He understood why would I have tried to do this disconnected from my father? We ought to be mature enough to understand by now that it's a waste of our time to go about life and to do it the way Camden was doing me, trying to disconnect and go our own way. We should have bumped our heads enough by now to know that we cannot handle this journey on our own. David understood that, and that's why David's summary reads like it, like it, like it read. That night sitting at the table, David, he served the purposes of God for the benefit of a generation. And then he fell asleep. 
He didn't serve his own purposes. Even though he wasn't perfect, we know there were times where he served his own purpose. We know there were times where he made mistakes. But he had the intent of a godly man, a godly person, to serve the purposes of God. When you leave here today, what's your intent? Do you have the intent of a godly woman who's looking for opportunities to write a summary that matters to the head coach? To where when he looks at your life game tape, he sees a woman that's serving the purposes of God for the benefit of the generation that she's involved in before the final whistle? Are there men out here tonight that have the intent that with everything that I do, since the head coach has called me and put me in the game, that I have the intent to run his plays for the benefit of the organization of the kingdom of God, so that when the head coach, after the game is over, looks at my film, reads my summary, he can say, well done my good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Guess what? Now I'm about to make you ruler over many. I imagine that's what happened to David. Because the verse says, David served the purposes of God, not self. Growing up, we had a dog named Solomon in the Evans household. Solomon was a was a toy poodle, not by my choosing. I had two sisters. I don't do toy poodles. That's not, that's not how I roll. Had to blame it on the sisters. But I remember coming home and thinking to myself, Solomon is a little afflicted. I was 10 years old. I think Solomon's a little off because Solomon's running around in circles chasing his own tail. And at 10 years old, I didn't understand that. I would say to myself, Solomon, don't you realize that your mouth is on your face and your tail is on your butt? You weren't created to catch your own tail. You weren't created to satisfy that intent. Matter of fact, you'll never get that done, Solomon. All you'll be doing is running around in circles, doing a lot of movement, but not going anywhere because you're trying to satisfy an intent that you weren't created for. And one day I came home at 10 years old, a little bit later in the year, and I heard some growling coming from the back room. Solomon was, he's back there growling. I'm like, did we get another dog? What is he growling at? I don't understand what's going on with Solomon. I got back to the back room, and lo and behold, that dog caught his tail. I was shocked. I didn't understand how he could get in that position to catch his tail, and he was growling at his tail, and he was chasing his tail around, and he had caught it, and at least for a moment, he had satisfied his intent. But after about 30 seconds, he had to let his tail go. You know why? Because even though he satisfied it for a moment, he wasn't created for that position. It was too uncomfortable to stay there. So what did he do? He started chasing again. The sad reality today is even in the house of God with Christians, we have too many of us that are chasing our own tails. We're running around in circles trying to satisfy an intent that we were never created for. And even though you may satisfy it for a moment, you'll realize that you weren't created to be in that position because then we're just looking for the next thing just to start chasing again. David understood something that I hope we can understand in the church of Jesus Christ. 
that it's not about me. It is about the kingdom of God living itself out through me. We have too many people in the church today that are raising their hand wanting a blessing, but only wanting the blessing if it's half of a definition of what a blessing really is. The favor of God to me, but that's not what a blessing is. A blessing is the favor of God to you so that it might pass through you. God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to bless you so that through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God is not interested in blessing a cul-de-sac. He's looking for a conduit. And whenever we can think of ourselves as conduits through which the kingdom of God can work through, then we won't just have nice huddles while the culture continues to decay. I've never seen anyone go to a football game, 70,000 to 100,000 people to watch 11 men bend over and have a private conversation. That's not how it works. You're going to go to the game because you want to know what difference the huddle makes. You want to know, having now huddled, can you now score? You want to know, what are you going to do about 11 other men on the other side of the ball daring you to go public with that private conversation? That's why you bought the ticket. You want to know what difference it makes. It's nice that you huddle because that's where you get the information. But if you don't see any value in executing what you learn from the huddle, then what difference does it make? All over the country, there's 14 churches to every one school in America. There's huddles everywhere on every corner with people showing up, with people in worship, hands lifted, while the culture continues to decay. We have a job. It is our responsibility, not just the senior pastor or the deacons. It is our responsibility, those that sit in the audience, as I do every Sunday watching my dad, thinking, what can I do through the gifts and talents that God has given me to make an impact in the time period before my final whistle blows? Heavens no. I do not want God to look at me and say, what were you doing? I want him to read my summary and think to himself, that's what I'm talking about. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 that we are the salt of the earth. Why would he use that illustration? Well, because in Bible days, they didn't have refrigerators. They couldn't keep their meat preserved the way that we do. So what they would do was use seasoning to preserve the meat. So salt was a preservative for the meat. So he says that we are the salt of the earth. In other words, the Christians are supposed to operate as a preservative to the culture. If meat decays in the Bible days, the people who should be salting the meat wouldn't look at the meat and shake their head like there was something wrong with the meat. They know that the meat decays because they forgot to salt it. We have a generation of Christians that shake their head at the cultures, not recognizing that they're supposed to be the salt that preserves it. Matthew chapter 5 says, we are the salt of the earth. The question is not, are sinners destroying America? Sinners sin. The question is, are Christians destroying America? 
That's what the Sermon on the Mount would say. Because we haven't recognized that we have a summary to write, a life to live. We have things to accomplish that God has put us here, men and women alike, with specific talents, gifts, and skills to make something happen in the kingdom of God. That we are the preservatives, that we are the seasoning. But what can you do with salt that has lost its saltiness? It's good for nothing other than to be walked on by the culture that it's supposed to be preserving. David understood. He would draw his sword and think, I'm more than that. I'm writing a summary that means something. I want a legacy that lasts. I want people thousands of years to still be talking about the impact that I made. It's not about a same old, same old life, just trying to make it day by day, just trying to get by when we've been given and granted the righteousness of Christ for those who believe. That certainly the king has a job for you. That I believe he has something that he wants us to do and get done right here at Calvary Chapel. That, way, that while the lawn may be comfortable, that we're willing to get uncomfortable and go preserve the meat. And while we're doing it, get a summary that the head coach actually wants to read. You see, it's not just for them. This investment is for you. God's going to read your summary, my summary. As a player, when I came into the NFL, there's one stressful thing that you would like to know about all players who are on the field, if you go to an Eagles game and you watch them, they're stressed. They're thinking about something. Every play, they're thinking about it. You know what they're thinking about? They're thinking about the eye in the sky. The eye in the sky is that video camera that no one can see, but that they know is there. They know it's watching their every move. They know it's watching their mistakes, their failures, their successes, their touchdowns. It's watching every move that they make because the next day after the game is over, they have to sit next to the head coach. He's going to pull down the screen. He's going to turn on his overhead projector. He's going to grab his red pointer. He's going to sit the team down right next to him, and he's going to watch every play of that game and put it on rewind so that they can continue to watch it. So during the game today, I would always play the game today thinking about tomorrow. Every play, I'd miss a block and say, oh, that's going to look terrible. I'd make a great block and I'd say, I know that's going to look good. And I would be playing the game with a vim and vigor about myself because I knew tomorrow was coming. Ladies and gentlemen, based on this summary, tomorrow is coming. We ought to be playing with the vim and vigor about ourselves in the Christian life, in our families, in our married life. Not just thinking about happiness, but thinking about holiness because we know that he's going to pull down his spiritual overhead projector and he's going to turn on his spiritual overhead projector and pull down the screen and he's going to get his Holy Ghost red pointer. 
and he's going to pull out a playbook called the Bible. And since you wear the uniform that's complementary to the playbook, which is the blood of Jesus Christ, hopefully for most of you, but if you don't, we'll get there in a second. He's simply going to have this question. Were you operating based on the book or were you out there doing your own thing? And that's not going to be a time where we can make up stuff and not tell the truth because it will be on the tape. 2 Corinthians 5 says it, for we all, Paul says, will go before the judgment seat of Christ. And since he's talking to the church of Corinth, that means he's talking to Christians. So we play today with tomorrow in mind. We live today writing a summary that matters. We think about a legacy of impact and benefit, of serving the purposes of God, of bringing God glory. Even if we feel like the job is boring and it's not where we should be, we know that we're there because God knows how to make the rain just cool it off for the sun. We're living to serve the purposes of God. If you're a lawyer, you're not just a lawyer, you're God's representative in the Bar Association. So the Bar Association can see what God looks like when God cuts a, 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 tries a case. If you're a businessman or woman, you're not just a businessman or woman, you're God's representative in the business realm so that people can see what God looks like when God cuts a deal. If you're a teacher, you're not just a teacher, you're God's representative in education so the world can see what God looks like when God teaches people. If you're a doctor, you're not just a doctor, you're God's representative in medicine so the world can see what God looks like when God has a healing hand. Everything you do with serving the purposes of God, writing a summary that matters and one day hearing a well done one of our chapel services with the Dallas Cowboys, I talked to them about this very concept, about what are they living for? Who are they living for? Is it for the flashing lights and the camera and the red carpet that's rolled out for every game? Or is it that people can see what God looks like when God shines through a man who makes big plays. I told him, don't point at the last name on the back of your jersey. You point up to the sky, the man who gave you the last name. Understand why you're here. If you were to take out a pen and a paper, and write a sentence of your own summary. The question is, what would it say? And if you don't like what it says, rewrite it. David, he served the purposes of God. But he did it for what? To be a benefit to a generation. It's about impact. I can look at my dad and say, whole generation was impacted. A lot of people listening in, changing their lives, all of those different things. And that's good for him when his time comes. But then I had to answer that question for myself, and you have to do it for yourself. 
Who can look at you and say, because of this woman, my life has changed. Because of this man, I'm no longer on the streets. Because of this person, I'll never be the same. Because of them, I was baptized into his death and resurrected to the newness of life. Because of this person, I accepted Jesus Christ. Because of them, like right now, I'm on the stage talking about because of him. David, because of this summary, I thought about my own. I remember going bowling with a friend of mine named Jerry, and we, in my mind, it was a casual evening of bowling. I came with my cargo shorts, my little t-shirt that I have on, and I'm just waiting for him to show up. He comes in there with his bowling ball, bowling bag, bowling shoes, bowling towel, bowling slacks, bowling collared shirt. I was thinking, what in the world is happening here? I said, you go first. I was a little competitive, but I tried to measure my expectations up based on what I was looking at so that I wouldn't be too heavily disappointed. And Jerry got his ball out and he wiped it down and he stood there and he analyzed the field and he saw the lane and he put his fingers in those custom holes that were made for his hands and he took his stance and he took some steps and he, he bowled the ball, he flicked the wrist and he kicked out the leg. <laughs> Jerry had it down. I had my eyes covered. I didn't want to see because I just knew it was going to be a strike or a spare. I opened my eyes. That ball was rolling right down the gutter. And my facetious tendencies kicked up. I said, uh, you look nice, by the way. I wanted to make sure you knew that I recognized that you were dressed well for the occasion. But don't you know this game is about impact? Don't you know that pins are actually supposed to fall at the end of the alleyway? You look good, Jerry, but based on all those pins still standing up since the game is about knocking them down, you are a good-looking failure. Jonathan, that's a little rough, isn't it? Well, yes, but I thought I was going to lose. <laughs> Sad reality today is there's a lot of us who look great. We got the gold medals. But if there's no impact in the kingdom of God, you can simply be a good-looking failure. That David made an impact that we're looking for opportunities. I was sitting in a discipleship meeting with my dad and he was giving us an assignment to find someone to disciple, to go evangelize on the street, go downtown, buy some burgers and go downtown and witness to the homeless. Give them something to eat, meet a need, pray with them. And I felt guilty sitting in that room that it actually had to be an assignment for me to get up and do it that he had to charge men at the table at that specific meeting with doing what the Bible has already commanded us to do in the first place in Matthew 28. Go make an impact. We ought to be looking for opportunities. And by the way, while you're doing it, you'll get to write a perfect summary. David, he served the purposes of God for the benefit of a generation before he fell asleep. 1,500 people died during the Titanic. 
But you know why 1,500 people died? Because people who were saved in the half-filled lifeboats felt it too risky to turn back to get those who were drowning. Ladies and gentlemen, people are dying. And yes, I'm glad that by the grace of God, I'm in the lifeboat. But based on John 14, the lifeboat has plenty of space for more. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to turn back. And by the way, while you're turning your oars and you're aggressively going back, you'll also be writing your own summary. Because when those people who come out of those treacherous waters and get in that boat think about you, it will matter to the kingdom of God. David, he served the purposes of God for the benefit of a generation. And then he fell asleep. I'll conclude with this because the verse concludes with it. He fell asleep. The reality is that this game doesn't get to last forever. The reality is that the time is ticking. And if Jesus doesn't come first, that is something we have in common if there's nothing else other than Jesus Christ for most of us. The question is, what will you do between the lines? Between the kickoff and the final whistle, what plays will you make? What summary will you write? Because that final whistle, I guarantee you, ask every biblical character, it will blow. My dad's favorite game growing up was Monopoly because that was the only time in the hood he got to own land. He'd open up the board, he'd lay it out. And since you're at the table, this is what he did that night. He opened up Monopoly just to make his point. And his eyes shifted to the right because he was looking at two primary prime real estate opportunities. Boardwalk and and he got on them. All the money was coming away from me and my siblings as he was charging us rent. It seemed like he was aggravated for all of the years we were living for free. He put green houses on there and the rent went up. Then he went to the city and rezoned on us and put red hotels out there. And then the rent went up again. He had all of our money. He had all of the assets. He had gained everything that the game of Monopoly had to offer was in his possession, and he gloated. And we were sitting there discouraged and disappointed because we had lost. And he said, but you know what? No matter how much I won, now the game is over. The board folded up and put it in the box. All this money, now you realize how fake it is. Put it in the box. Those little deals y'all were going and passing around, put those in the box. Put the red hotels in the box. Put the houses in the box. It all goes back in the box. 
close the box. Game over. Now you realize that it was just a game. It was just a time period that was fleeting and passing. You put it away. He said it's the same thing with life. Don't get caught up in those things that will pass when your time passes. It's okay to have them, but it's not okay to get caught up with them. Because one day, as morbid as it sounds, children, you're going to be in front of somebody's church and they're going to close the box. And I have never in my life seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You're not going to get to take any of it with you. And at that moment, you'll realize it was all fake. So tell me again what your summaries are. And if you don't like what it says, then rewrite it because the person that's in the box could care less about what they leave behind. All they can care about is what they forward ahead. And I'm so glad tonight about the work of Jesus Christ. Because based on his work, based on his life, death, and resurrection, even though we're in there, we're not in there. That even though things have to conclude, they don't conclude. That if we place faith in him and our resurrected Savior, that he gives us life more abundantly. Even when the final whistle blows on this earth. But while we're here, let me ask you one final time. If you could take out a pen and a paper and you write your summary, ask yourself the question as of today, what would it say? And if you don't like it, change it. Finally, for some of us out here, I want to make sure that we have the opportunity to start writing a story at all. Jesus Christ is the consummate summary writer who lived a perfect life. What was the importance of every step that he took? What was the importance of him being perfect. Simple. We couldn't be perfect. And God only accepts perfection. The difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world is that they work to be, to satisfy God. I got to pray this many times. I got to go over here. I got to do that. And they're working to be accepted by God. The problem is the book of Isaiah says, that all your righteous works are filthy rags in front of a holy God. You cannot work for God's favor. You cannot earn God's favor. So what was the importance of the life of Jesus Christ? Matthew 5 tells you, I did not come to abolish the law. I'm the one who actually can fulfill it. That when you place faith in Jesus' life, he credits you his life. He gives you his perfection even though you could not be perfect so that when God sees you, he sees an 800 credit score even though you've lived a 400 credit score life. That's the importance of his life. 
What was the importance of his death? That he acquired the payment that we couldn't pay. That he took away from us what was rightfully ours, death itself, for the wages of sin is death. But because of Christ, we have eternal life. If you place faith in Christ, you get an 800 credit score, not because of your work, but because of his work. Not only does he give you an 800 credit score that you didn't deserve, he took away from you all of the debt that you couldn't pay when he died. And then he resurrected from the grave as a receipt that everything that had been done is thumbs up, good to go. Without the resurrection, we don't even have a Christian faith. All we have is another dead man that tried hard. His life, hopefully you have it, the righteousness of Christ. His death, taking away that which you couldn't pay, and his resurrection. That we get a new life in Christ. The old has gone, Second Corinthians 5, the new has come. So since the final whistle is going to blow, and since we're still between the lines, I want to give those who are here an opportunity, maybe for the first time, to accept Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, every eye closed if you bow your heads and pray with me, and if you've already accepted Jesus Christ, you ought to be praying for those who may be thinking about it at this moment. What I'm going to do is I'm going to say a simple prayer. It's not the words that save you. It's your belief in him who justifies the ungodly that saves you. And if you just repeat after me, you can accept Jesus Christ tonight, and he can give you his life, his strength, so that you can walk in a whole new way and write a summary that matters. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And I am in need of a Savior. And I want you to be my Savior tonight so that I can begin to write a summary that matters. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you resurrected from the grave. And I trust you alone, by faith alone, for the forgiveness of my sins. I give you my world. Thank you for saving me tonight. 